if you got your Bibles, go with me to, uh, uh, if you would, to John 19. And we're going to be at verses 17 through 29. And I want to talk about this with you this morning one more time from a little bit different perspective. And, uh, and I hope God will just speak to your hearts. Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that you are God. And Lord, I'm excited about the Word of God today, God, because I love this message. This is your heart. This is the gospel. And Lord, I love your Word, God. I thank you for the death, burial, and, uh, and resurrection of our Son, Lord, of your Son. I'm thankful that you have brought us into covenant. I'm thankful that I'm secure. I'm thankful that you didn't base it on my performance, but you based it on his performance. And dear God, I'm thankful for that. I'm glad you're finally working that into me. But God, then when these things were given to me, your presence, your power, your provision. God, they were given to transform me. You are committed. You are committed. You are committed, Lord, eternally committed to changing my life, God. Those who are, those who are serious about seeking you, those who have received you, God, you're serious about transforming them and changing them into your glorious image, and you won't stop until that's done. And God, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful I'm not what I was yesterday, God. I'm so grateful I'm not what I was 10 years ago, God. And I'm so grateful that tomorrow, God, should I live, God, you will continue your work in me. You'll continue performing it. And Lord, like I was praying with a dear brother, God, that I pray with once a month, he, my favorite verse, he opened up a new avenue to it. God is uh, faithful to, to, to continue the work that he's begun in me, even till the day of Jesus Christ. That means even if I die, he's still continuing the work in perfecting it in my life until Christ comes. Oh, dear God, what a wonderful Savior we have. You are so grateful. You are so great and so faithful to us, and we praise you today. Speak to our hearts and change our lives through the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. John 19. Jesus, they took Jesus, verse 17, and they went out. He went out bearing his own cross to the place called the skull, which is in Aramaic is called Golgotha, and there they crucified him and with him two others on either side. And Jesus, I want you to really get this. And I, I want you to get the picture today. You got to get the picture. I, I, want you to, I, want, I want you to taste it, smell it. Think, I want you to think about his, his every sense that's going on in him. How his eyes, what his eyes are seeing, what his ears are, are hearing, what his, what his smell and his taste is, is like. Because they're, they're, it's all being affected right now as he's hanging here for the sins of humanity and the sins of the world. And he went out bearing his cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in there. Just think of the name of these places. Think about all this. Think of the intimidation. Think of, I mean, don't just read it. Let's just dwell on it a minute and just really meditate on every part. You, you talk about people in this world who are, who are, who we got propaganda and we got, we got the biggest thing the world is facing right now is fear. And we got masters of fear and terrorism right now that want to put the maximum amount of fear into you. And, and, and you think about the Romans here at this time taking you to places called the place of the skull, the place of uh, where, where people don't come back from they die on this hill they, 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 they the stench the death the, the vultures coming overhead I want you to get the whole picture and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha and there they crucified him with two others one on either side think about the scoundrel on the left and the scoundrel on the right the thief on the left the the thief on the right that is there by, by where this innocent man now hangs between these this riffraff of society these these people like you and like me who are sinful men who are who deserve to be hanging on that tree and Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross and it reads Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews mocking and making fun and ridiculing and many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and, and 
and it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. And so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered and said, What I have written, it is written. And when the soldiers had crucified him, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless. It was woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which said, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast their lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus, now get this, there's your mother. A lot of people can't even die until their loved ones release them or until they're gone out of the room or something like that. And here is a man having to look down with the senses of his eyes and the emotions of his heart and see a mother watching her son be crucified on a cross. And there he is, woman, behold your son. He said, mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, uh, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, this is where I really want you to come down to because this is what we're going to focus on. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all now was finished, said, in other words, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. And so they put a sponge full of sour wine and hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. In verse 28, one more time, he said, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished to fulfill the scripture, said, I thirst. Dear God, please, I beg you, Holy Spirit, I pray you paint the cross so real, God, before us. I pray people squirm in their seats. It's so ugly. I pray they see it, God. I pray they see you. I don't care what my preaching is. God, I pray that they see the cross. I see they see what their sin has done to the Savior, the Nazarene hanging on the tree. I pray they see what my sin has done, God. May that we never, God, again excuse our sin as though flippantly it does not matter or it did not cost somebody something. Dear God, I pray that you would open our our eyes, Lord, to see the truth and the reality, God, of what's going on here in these passages of Scripture. And I pray that you would once again soften the heart of the church of Jesus Christ to recognize what the new covenant was about, God, that you want us to be conformed and transformed into the image of God. And the way we're going to do that is by seeing this and not hiding our eyes from it anymore, Lord. And we give you the praise and honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. When I get down, and when I get down on myself, and when I worry, and when I get to start to complain like I seem to be doing a lot when I get squeezed lately. I mean, COVID has revealed a lot about all of us. And there's a lot I don't like about myself. Because when I've gotten squeezed lately, there's ugly coming out that I don't like, and I want the Lord to soften me, and I want Him to get this out of my life. Things I didn't know were there. I thought I was a pretty decent guy, and things I didn't know were still in me are coming out of me, and they're not, and, 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 and other people are helping bring those, and I'm helping bring that out of other people, and we're seeing stuff, and the pressures coming down are causing us uh, what we feel about our government, what we feel about this one, what we feel about the Democrat, what we feel about the Republican, what we feel about this person and what we feel. And so when I begin to complain and when I begin to go through things, I often, uh, as I heard a preacher recently, it kind of clicked. I was listening to him and it kind of clicked. Yes, that's right. That's what I do. He was talking about how when he gets in that state, he rereads the the crucifixion story because it really puts things in perspective and it kind of stops like yesterday, seeing people that that are there suffering, that, that are far worse off than we are, kind of puts things into perspective. 
hey, maybe my life ain't so bad. Okay, well, when we get complaining, this is a whole nother level of when we see Christ and we begin to see the crucifixion. It seems to break through my grumbling. It seems to break through my, 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 my uh, complaining and my fretting about the future and the past and the present and all that's going on. And it seems to break through that. You know, I've heard, uh, well, God, if God is God, then, uh, you know, people complain, then, uh, uh, you know, he's sure doesn't seem to love me and I heard I've heard preachers and other people and I think Rich Rick Burgess says it the best sometime hey you need no other place to see that God loves you than to look on Golgotha's hill and to see the one hanging there on a tree that is dying for you and then you got the goal to look at him and to say God where are you you don't love me are you nuts You've just kind of put that out of your mind and you need to revisit it. You need to revisit that hill. You need to revisit the, the, what took place on that old rugged cross. You need to see it in your mind's eye. Because you've you, you, you got to think how he was brought before the Sanhedrin. And how they took him before the Sanhedrin. And they begin to mock this man. And they begin to blaspheme him. And they begin to blindfold him, the Bible tells us. And then they begin to smack him. Who's hitting you now, Jesus? And they hit him from this side. And they hit him from that side. And they hit him from the front. And they hit him from the back. Who's hitting you now? Prophesy to us now. Now, Nazarene. And they spit on him. And the Bible says they punched. A punch comes from this side. A punch comes from this side. A nose is dislocated. A tooth is knocked out. Blood is everywhere. As Jesus is taking the brutal blows for you and for me on that hill. They take him to Pontius Pilate if that wasn't enough. And they get out of what? A torturous thing called a cat of nine tails. And they would take this cat of nine tails, this whip with these, with these bone fragments on the end, sometimes fish hooks or metal pieces on the end, sometimes glass. And they would do, and they would come. And when it would go, it would grab into his back and into his side. And they'd get it to go in real good and then they'd strip the meat out of this man and you say sin is not a big deal whoa one whoosh two yuck three uh oh we got his head right four this is for you Gabe yeah 39 times. They had it down to a science, Caleb. I mean down, if we give one more blow to this man, he's probably gone. Finished. So let's take him just to the point of death. Let's take him just to the, I mean to the edge of the precipice and then pull it back so he hurts the most. And then blood everywhere at this point. I mean blood everywhere. You talk about the blood we want to take out of our hymns and we're too embarrassed to sing. Oh my gosh. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes wider than snow. I'm thankful for the blood. Amen. Hey, you see that at home? I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. That was every precious spot of blood. You think I'm going to take that out of my preaching and out of this church are you nuts blood everywhere crown of thorns stuck on his head when we're not talking we're talking about inch to two inches placed on his head and then they take a rod and they begin to beat him over the head so that that goes down real good inside the yeah, real good inside the scalp and into the head and and you think you've had a migraine before you ain't had nothing yet and he's down on the ground and they're beating him and they're beating him as these things are pressing into his head and sinking into his head. Then if that's not enough, they grab him and make him carry his cross up this hill. I've been there. I've seen the place. I've seen the skull. I've seen the place where they took our Lord and they crucified and they lay him down as now his back is bloodied and ribboned and ripped open and they pop him down on that cross that has splinters and that pole that now has 
splinters upon it as his back contorts and twists and aches and hurts as he's on that cross there. And they stretch out this hand and they stretch out that hand and they take the palm. You know how many tendons and you know how many feelings are inside and nerves. You ever cut your hand? You ever cut your finger and you know it hurts for days? It throbs because of all that's pressing in through there and they take it and they put a spike in this hand and they put a spike in that hand and then they put a spike in his feet and then they raise him up and he and now as every nerve and every tendon is aching throbbing and now he's starting not to breathe He's contorting his body any way he can so that he can try to get some sort of relief. If he presses up on his feet, it's ripping his feet more. If he pulls up on his hands, the ache is so bad in his hands. If he tries to rest, they've got to tie just right so that the maximum place that you can't do anything to try to get relief. And you try to get a breath. You think COVID's bad? And I say all that and be so dramatic with all that because what's so amazing is he says nothing, Gabe, not a word about his physical suffering. Not one word. You don't see, he does not complain one word about his physical suffering anywhere. Isn't that odd? Isn't that odd that, that, that splinters on his back, all this is going on, it's kind of strange that he gets to the end and finally at the end he opens up his mouth and now he says, I thirst. He said nothing about it there as he's going through all those things. He doesn't say anything, but he comes to the last part upon that cross and finally that's where he cries out and begins to say something. I believe he's trying to say there's something more going on here than meets the eye. What is he trying to tell us in that statement? I thirst. He's trying to tell us something that is going on here. So, so, so he doesn't say one word through the physical suffering. Jesus is revealing two things in this I thirst. Look, Jesus, number one, is revealing how hideous and evil sin is. And secondly, Jesus is revealing what is at the center of our hearts. And that's what he's really, really, really doing there when he cries out, I thirst. He knew at that moment everything is accomplished. Everything is accomplished. Everything needed to redeem humanity has just been done. And there, what he's saying, Taylor, is I have nothing left. I have nothing left, nor does my Father. Everything that is in me, my spirit, my soul, my body, it is dry. There is nothing left in me. It is done. It is finished. I am dry everywhere and inside. They have bruised my body. They have broken my flesh. Why do you take communion and just sit there flippantly? Do you not understand what that cracker represents? They took my body and they pulverized it to the nth degree. I have nothing left to pay for sin. It's all been given. My body, my soul, it's done. It's empty. I paid the last drop, the last drop of water or life that we is there it's now gone out of my physical body out of my soul out of my spirit and that's why he cries in this moment now it's finished it's finished accomplished nothing left to give my body has been squeezed of everything my soul has been squeezed of everything there is nothing left I paid it all why do you sing that song and look like you want to yawn and get out of church and look so pathetic when we sing Jesus paid it all and because you don't like that song or that music or who's singing all to him I owe And you can't even stand, we stand for that flag, and you can't even get up to stand for your Savior. Sin had left a crimson stain. 
oh, Jesus, but you washed me whiter than snow. And you sit there smugly because you're mad at somebody over on the other side of the room that you get miss out on worshiping the Lord? No, I'm going to tell it like it is from now on. See, and, and, and there was an inward suffering. He had a physical suffering that he endured, and there was an inward suffering that was going on too. You know, certain people have different pain thresholds, right? Like my wife, and probably that lady back there on the back row. <laughs> I mean, like these people are, moms, y'all are superheroes. Because I'm going to tell you what, I mean, like, she could be throwing up migraine, I mean, like, in the worst pain possible, and you let her baby cry, and buddy, she is pushing that aside, and she is, where's my baby? I'm in there like, oh, you getting him? <laughs> I'm hurting. <laughs> I mean, some people have a different pain threshold than others. And Jesus, I want you to understand here, you want you to see something. Jesus has no sin nature. Jesus is not, Jesus has never sinned. So Jesus has not felt a lot of the effects to the level that we feel things. And all of a sudden, what I want to tell you here is I believe he is experiencing things far worse and far more because of that at this moment than we could ever even imagine. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because this man has been so, lived such a per he's lived a perfect life. He's had no sin. He hasn't experienced the awful consequences that sin, and the emotional turmoil and things that sin does to us. He's seen it in the world that he created. And what what it does to people. He's felt that. He's groaned when he sees us doing things we ought not to do and thinking, why are you doing this? You're killing yourself. But now, I'm telling you now, he is feeling things that is happening because of our sin on him. And the height and the level of that is far greater than what you've ever felt in your life before. He experienced the full measure of that pain. His pain is maximized. All his senses are involved. I mean, his eyes are assaulted while he is on that cross. He sees robbers on this side. He sees robbers on that side. And he's in the midst of them. That's who he's with up on that cross. So his eye senses are being assaulted. His hearing is being assaulted. Hey, you say you're God. Get yourself down off the cross. You say you're God. Hey, you are no God. You think you're king you're no king hey you're full of the devil you're Beelzebub and he's got all this assault coming into his blasphemy mocking is coming in his taste is aggravated they want to put something up vinegar and wine up to his mouth that he can taste and he rejects it he doesn't want that and and all of a sudden now his taste they're aggravating every sense in his body his smell is aggravated he smells death he smells urine he smells excrement next to him and next to him and on him he smells death we're all around in demonic hell that's all around him you know the devil had to be there himself watching and laughing he's smelling and seeing he's seeing the wickedness of Roman guards and there they are all this is going on and he is being aggravated and all of a sudden this is coming through him I mean he is there's never a break there is never a time out he is suffering and it never stops from the moment they start the passion until the moment he gives up his last breath there and so there's physical there's inward suffering I mean the inward suffering I want you to understand that Jesus is experiencing the pure wrath of God no I said the pure wrath of God the pure wrath of God Raymond the pure nobody in this room has experienced the pure wrath of that's some good wrath right there boys and girls the pure wrath of God is now coming down on the sun he experienced the entire wrath of God for you and for me and because of your sin and my sin but it ain't no big deal that I curse you. It ain't no big deal that I slap you and wear you out on Instagram. No, it pulverized your Messiah. It is a big deal. It ain't no big deal 
that I, I, girl, I'd tell her to hit the road. You don't have to forgive her. Why? It pulverized your Messiah. You think it's not a big deal? God thought it a big deal. He put His full, pure wrath on it. You think it's not a big deal, young person sleeping around before marriage? Oh, it's a big deal. So much so, God said, I'm going to pulverize this, this man. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and to crush him. You think slandering the pastor is not a big deal? You think slandering the music pastor is not a big deal? You think slandering the Sunday school teacher is not a big deal? You think slandering each other is not a big deal? Look at my son. Look at my son. You think cheating on your taxes is not a big deal? Church, you seem to think we can just skirt over all these things today and we don't have to deal with them because there's grace? Think that's not a big deal? Look at my son. Oh, it's a big deal, all right. And I love you enough to deal with it and for him to pay the price, but it's a big deal. It ain't no little matter. It ain't no little white lie. That little white lie to your husband about how much you spent at the mall is a big deal. Romans 1 talks about the wrath of God. But those people got common grace. They got the church there. They've got, they've got something Jesus had. Jesus has got the entire wrath of God. He's got separation. He's, got, he's crushed to the full anger of God over sin. Why is He there, y'all? Come on, you look mesmerized. You look like the devil's getting our vines out. Why is He there? Our sin. Our sin. The word we don't use anymore in churches. Our, because it offends our little egos. Our sin has got our Savior hanging on a tree. To the last drop, there's nothing left I have not poured out. I've poured out everything. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said this is what it's like. He said and, 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 and give some liberty because obviously God does not get tired. And obviously this is this taking a little bit of license. But here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said it's as if the father has a sword in his hand and he is stabbing his son straight into his soul over and over and over and over again until literally his bicep and his arm begins to shake from exhaustion and he falls limp and the sword falls out to the floor as if God is catching his breath not that he ever would have to catch his breath but he says that for dramatic effect and there's nothing left and God is saying I have poured out everything on my son this blood is for you So Jesus, he experienced the physical wrath. He experienced the inward suffering at the same time. You know, I, I can sometimes take a little bit of physical pain. Or maybe sometimes I can take a little bit of inward suffering. But Daniel, I don't ever want to be deathly sick. And then get a call that somebody in my family is dealing with cancer. Or some kind of horrible thing. And now I've got this physical stuff. And i got this. It's unbearable. I almost faint. I almost lose it. But that's what Jesus is facing. The, 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 both the physical and the inward suffering of humanity. That's all going on on that cross. It's so unbearable. And what does this all mean? Why are you telling us all this? Why are you screaming at us? I'm not screaming. I don't mean to scream. I'm not trying to be angry. But, but what does all of this mean? Well, here's what it means. It should cause our hearts to see how wicked sin is. And the reason I'm screaming and yelling is we don't seem to have that in this society anymore. Anymore. 
The fact that Jesus was crushed to the extent for our sin, it should cause our hearts to see how wicked sin is. And here's the second part. It should compel us to literally put to death the flesh and the sin in our lives, but we're not doing that. We're making, we're making excuses for it. It should cause us to put it to death. His soul is so dry from the wrath of his father and his body is so dehydrated from the physical turmoil. And, and you should see this and you should think, how can I live in sin anymore when this is what it does? How can, I, how can I do this anymore? And that's the whole objective of the new covenant is to cause you to come to the place where you see God in this form. You see that He made a contractual covenant with His Son. That He paid the price for us. That He gave His last drop of blood. That He paid the ransom. The wage of sin was death. But the gift of God is eternal life. He came, paid the price for you and for me with every last drop of his blood with God taking his full wrath and fury and payment out of him for our sin and he did all of that in hopes to show us how committed he is to saving the world and forgiving us of our sin but he also did it to show us that now I'm bound to forming the image of my son inside of you I'm committed to cleaning and removing this out of your life do you hear me? I'm committed to cleaning this and removing this out of you. Not it sticking around. Not it staying. Not us being proud of it. But it to come to a place where we get it out of our lives through Him. I can't do it any more than you can. But He died and He was rose from the dead so that He could send His power, His presence, His promises, His covenant into our lives. And His power through His Spirit will do this inside of us. Amen? And He promises in this covenant, as we learned last week, that I'm never going to stop dealing with sin harming your lives. That's how committed I am. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to cleaning this up. If you'll be committed to me and my son, if you will have faith in us, if you'll receive this glorious promise, if you'll receive grace, your, 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 this free gift by faith, then I will send the comforter. I'll send the spirit of truth. He will come into you and he will be committed to cleaning up and removing this out of your life. And the new covenant, seeing the cross, ought to create a tenacity in us to deal with sin and to repent of it. It ought to cause us to, to want to get it out of our lives. And a boldness to believe that with God all things are possible. And that's what he comes down here in the new covenant and he says, I will put my spirit in them to give them spiritual sight. Isn't that what he said? I'll take out the hard heart and I'll put in a heart that can see. That can see God, that can follow God, that will have the power to walk after God. That, that, that I'll give them spiritual sight to see what sin did to me on the cross. That, 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 that it will cause them to want to walk out of this and to walk in newness of life and newness of heart. And, and see, the Ten Commandments, the Law, the Old Covenant, all it could do was show you what sin is. But the sufferings of Jesus on the cross have the power to reveal what sin does. Do you understand that? The old covenant law that we want to constantly go to, yeah, that shows you what sin is, but you need to stare at the suffering Nazarene in order to know this is what your sin does. It kills a man. You're a murderer. Yeah, he laid his life down, but basically we killed him. We killed God. Do you understand? You killed God. No, you look like you don't care. You kill God with your sin. I think that's a big deal. But I know we're not supposed to make people feel guilty in American churches anymore. The new covenant was to give us a new heart and the ability to see what our sin has done 
And then to cause God to come in and change us and to take us away from this. The difference is that as Christians, we don't make treaties with sin. That Look, look, I know we still sin. I get that. I get that. I've had to, it's taken me a long time to come to terms with that in my own life. I understand I'm going to make mistakes again from here on out. But the difference, Raymond, is I don't make treaties with those sins. When, the, when they happen and when I fail, I run to God and I ask God to help me come out of this. I don't want them to remain. And see, that's what Israel had the problem with. When they came into the land, they realized that they had a fight on their hand. When they came into the promised land, they had to fight giants. They had to fight other nations. They had to fight these other people that are bowed. And every day of their life that they were in the land, they could never quit. But guess what they had a choice to do? We can either keep fighting them or we can make treaties with them and that's what the church of Jesus Christ and you and I have done today in 2021 is rather than continuing to fight sin we have just made a treaty with these things they can stay right and we've made treaties and they can stay in the land. And, 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 and so, but, the, but these things that are not what Christ and Christians are supposed to do. We're to put them to death through repentance, through prayer, and through the, pro, through the covenant promises of God. And, and we're not to come, to, you, you know, we, we're to come to a place where, where, where these are gone because there's so much. I know why we don't preach these things. There's so much shame in this nation, there's so much guilt in this nation from the things that we've done and that's why we've created safe places on college campuses and safe places at work and safe places here and safe places there because we're trying to protect people from how ugly sin can be and because of this you know what has happened our hearts are now hardened towards sin and now we don't think it's that bad anymore and you can't even see that it's bad anymore And so you must allow the cross and the Holy Spirit to open your eyes again. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see Him. I want to see what my sin caused. I want to be reminded of what my sin caused so that I don't make treaties with my sin. So I don't stay in my sin. So that when I make a failure tomorrow that I run to Him and say, Oh dear God, this grieves you and this grieves others. Help me God. I've become too hardened to this thing. I don't think that when I, just, when I, when I say something so curt about people, I don't think when I get in the car with my wife on the way home and I talk about so and so and so and so, I don't think that that it's really bad anymore. I've hardened my heart to this. And dear God, I need my heart to be softened again to these things. I want you to help me. And that's what the new covenant does. It comes and says, I'll take out the stone heart and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. I'll cause you to walk in my ways. I'll cause you to see like I see. And so folks, there's such a hardness in our hearts now that we have no vision to see our sin anymore. And the sin before us is real. And I'm praying that one more time in this last hour, we will have God lift the veil and cause our eyes to see. That's only when we're going to have a great awakening in this nation again, is when we can see the severity of what we are and see how great He is and what He did for us. Amen? Amen. And our great need for Him. Hallelujah. I'm almost through. There's some in this place you can gossip, you can lie, and you can come in here and have no conviction of it and raise your hands and worship God every Sunday. You're hardened. You're hardened. I don't care if you've been in here 20 years. I don't care if you teach Sunday school. I don't care if you sing on the praise team. I don't care if you preach in this pulpit. There is a problem when we can go out and we can lie to our boss about why we can't come in tomorrow. And then you can come in this room and you can raise your hands and you can think that does not matter. 
There is something wrong when we can get on a movie that blasphemes the name of Christ. There is something wrong when we can turn on our television or we can go to the computer and watch pornography three times this week. And then we can come in here and we can raise our hands. And trust me, I've done it before in the old days before I got delivered from it. I know. And then you can come in here and you can come to such a place that your hardened heart is hardened. And you can come from just a few minutes ago of doing that and come inside of here and raise your hands to God and have no conviction whatsoever. My son, my, 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 son, my daughter, my friend, my child, whatever you are in this room, that is not good. And you think, boy, he's mean. I I can't stand preaching like this. No, I love you so that when you stand at the judgment seat one day before God, you are not shocked to no end. And you find yourself on the side of the goats rather than the side of the sheep. And then you tell all those preachers who didn't have the courage to stand up and talk about sin. Then they're going to be the ones that are screaming and there's going to be people in their congregations that are going to get up and say, you knew and you didn't tell me. I thought you loved me. You knew and you didn't tell me and now I'm going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. I didn't want to hurt your feelings. People in this room, you have so much bitterness and so much pride that you can live in the body of Christ with some type of schism going on with another brother or sister that you are not willing to deal with. You're not willing to reconcile it. And you will literally live until eternity instead of trying to reconcile an issue that's going on in your heart with somebody in this room. And you're going to tell me your heart's not hard. Bible's clear on unforgiveness. Bible's clear on if you don't forgive me, I won't forgive you. Uh, someone else, I won't forgive you. And you will live with a schism with somebody in this room. You will let sin stay in your heart because of your stubborn pride. And you think it's okay. The new covenant is to create such a brokenness over sin that it motivates us out of it. By His love. See, those things that I mentioned, and there's far more. Those are the very things keeping us from experiencing the presence of God in our worship. Or maybe some are experiencing, but you're not. It's the very thing holding us back from having a hunger to pray more. It's the very thing keeping us back from having faith in the midst of a society and a nation, Tom Dodd, that we just talked about that is crumbling right before our eyes. So my altar call is this. And it's going to be a bold altar call. If you've made a treaty with sin, and I don't know what you got in mind, Give me faith's a good song. I need you. Soften my heart. Break me. But whatever you got. Or I'll just be a jukebox. You made a treaty with sin. In the new covenant, he will never stop conforming you to the image of his son. So he's never going to stop dealing with these things in your life. He's not going to let you get complacent. And stay here. If you've made a compromise with something and you're not fighting against it anymore. 
And I dare to say every person in this room, including the guy speaking to you, is guilty. Because these messages don't come like you always say. If you think, boy, he, 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 he's, just, he's just using the pulpit to preach. No, no. Every message has been preached to this guy right here. Every bit of repentance has come to this place first. This is me standing in the need of prayer. If you're not fighting against forgiving somebody anymore and you made a treaty with it, I know it's hard. I'm not telling you you can do it in your own strength. I'm telling you it's going to take God. It's going to take you begging God. It's going to take you going before God. It's going to take God taking out the stone heart. And replace, because I know because I've lived there. I've lived with bitterness in my heart. I got so bitter I couldn't even see how great that guy back there is to me and was to me in my life. I got so, so bitter towards wanting certain places of my life to be loved that only God could love. That I started blaming my mom and daddy for everything. So hard, and I couldn't even see of what they gave me. And when God started saying, Bucko, you better start thanking God for the meals you had on your table and for the clothes, the nice clothes, and the car, and the, and the, and the wonderful sheets you slept on at night. And when I began to start thanking God for what my parents gave me and did for me, I stopped seeing what, what, what it just melted my heart and began to change me when it began to put gratitude inside of my heart. And so God this morning wants to work His fear inside of you, but he can only do it in an honest heart and in an honest vessel. And he wants to do that. And so there's places recently he's been dealing with me about places of entertainment, places of inner Brad, there's places of entertainment and they are stealing my, they're stealing your prayer. You wonder why you can't pray. It's the things you watch, Brad. I'm not a mean ogre wanting to take away everything you watch, but some of the things that you're watching and you've allowed, they have hardened you to sin. And now you, you don't want to pray. You don't want to be in my presence. You go days without reading your Bible. It's that. And Brad, I want to deal with this in your life. Will you let me deal with this in your life? And so there's things in all of us and places we've made treaties with. There's attitudes. Sometimes I go home and my attitude's terrible through COVID. Trust me, with some of you and with my wife sometimes. And, and God's dealing with me on my attitude. You've made a treaty with your attitude. you got to love that woman the way Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. You can't be snippy with her and short with her. Your attitude, Brad. Your attitude. Oh, I'm done. I'm done. Let me put Jeremiah 32. I might have preached till 2 o'clock. I don't even know. I want you to look at this. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may, here, here's what we need to come again worked into us. That they may fear me. We, we, we don't need to fear society and COVID and governance. We need this kind of fear worked into our heart. We need the fear of the Lord. That they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. He's never, he never stops. He never stops working. It's not based on you, Brad, and what you do tomorrow. You're going to fail me again, but I'm committed. I'll never stop. I'll never stop working. When you fail, I'm going to keep working until I transform your heart, until I change you, take the old out, put in the new. I'm going to deal with that thing and that I will not turn. I'm not going to turn away from doing good to you, Brad, because of the covenant I have with my son. He paid it. He was pulverized for you. And I'm going to remember that. And that's why I'm committed to completing this work in you, that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their heart that they may not turn away from me. I'm going to God and saying, don't ever let me turn away. I don't care how much I want this. No matter how much I want the world, don't ever let me turn. Put this in me. And I will rejoice it. He's not saying, man, Brad, you are. How could you be so mean? Why you got to be so mean? You people, I know what you listen to. <laughs> 
I, he rejoices in doing good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. So, Father, <sighs> Lord, thank you for the new covenant. Lord, thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for the death of your son. May we never look at the, the juice. This is the blood. This is the blood in my new covenant. May we never take the, the cracker in vain anymore. This is my body that was, will be broken and was broken for you. Eat and do this in remembrance of me. Oh God, may, may we see what our sin and our disobedience and our wickedness how it affected. God, it brought, it brought, we're mad at you. We brought in death. We brought in destruction. We brought in sexual perversion. We brought these things in. And you, out of the love and goodness and mercy and kindness and grace and power of your heart, said, I will pursue you. I will love you. I will forgive you. I will reconcile, redeem, restore everything back for you. And then I'm going to let you come into heaven and live with me forever. And I'll be your God and you'll be my people. What kind of deal is that? And so, Father, I pray, God, that if someone here has never made you the Lord of their life, God, I pray that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and Messiah. And the others, God, I don't want everybody here to think I'm mad. I'm not yelling at them. I'm not finding pleasure in making anybody feel bad over anything. But God, I want us in this nation to see, God, that, that our sin did cost something very much. It cost our Savior his life. He paid for it so that we could be forgiven. And because of that... Now you have promised to send your spirit into our lives, God, so that this, seeing this would helpfully, hopefully motivate us to cause us to want to leave it. So God, please put an awakening in this church, in this pastor, God, to cause me. Lord, I used to try to cut off things that, I, that, that, I, that, I, that were sin, but the truth of it was I really loved it. And I knew I was going right out the door after church and I was going to do it again because I couldn't quit loving it. I loved it and I, and I wanted it. And Lord, there's things in our lives we make treaties with because we love them. And Lord, we have to come to you and ask you, God, to change us, God, to change us. We know these things are wrong. We know they're bad, but we just are bound in them and we've got strongholds in our lives and we're doing them. And it's as though we're just pushed there. And God, we need you to come and to take out the stony heart. And we need you to put in us a heart of flesh, God. Cause us to walk in your statutes and your ways. So God, I don't know if I've done a good job with this. Maybe I've rambled too long. But somehow let this word sink into somebody's heart and bring change into their life today, Father. We praise you. We give you the honor. We give you the glory. Lord, I love this church. And Father, you love this church, God. We were reading yesterday in Joel that, Lord, you wanted revival to come. And Lord... One thing that struck me, they were not where they needed to be. And the Lord, you said, repent and turn to me. I want to be gracious to you. And God, we have a God that despite ourselves, you want to be gracious to us. You love us. You want to show mercy. You want to show kindness. You want to show forgiveness. You love to forgive. You love to forget our sins. You love to receive us as your own. And so we love you. Put that love in our heart for each other. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.